you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. So many of us start our Christian life so well. So many Christians, when they first come to Christ, are very passionate about their faith. They can't wait to share with their coworkers. They can't wait to share with their family and friends. In fact, many Christians I know have, when they first come to saving faith, nothing stops them from sharing what God has shown them. And as time goes on, that passion tends to wane. We become too sophisticated, too important, and Jesus becomes less of a passion for us as much as our reputation, as much as what people will think of us. And I know many of you probably grew up, um, at least my generation grew up in the 90s when you know, DC Talk came out with the song Jesus Freak. And one of the lyrics in there, you know, what will people think if they think that I'm a Jesus Freak? What will people say when they find that it's true? And then the line after that is, I don't really care. If people call me a Jesus freak, there's no denying the truth. Actually, I think they use ain't. But the point of being, the reality is that many Christians will talk the talk, but their lifestyles don't prove that. Many of us have this drive that we put on sometimes But when push comes to shove, we crumble really quick. In fact, if you were to see a lot of Christian artists that sing these songs, and you dug deep into really their philosophy of Scripture, you'd find that even one of the lead singers from DC Talk does not hold to the Trinity. And those little things that should shock us oftentimes don't. My message this morning is not about your music selection. My my message this morning is not about whether somebody else is living inconsistently. My message this morning, in closing, based on what Acts shows us, is that God wants us to be faithful to the end. God wants us to be faithful to the end. We're going to be looking at three things here in this text. Number one, the gathering, verses 17 through 22. Number two, the exposition, verse 23. And number three, the finish, verses 24 through 30. Let's start with number one, the gathering, verses 17 through 22. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who when they had examined me, wanted to let me go, because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. But when the Jews, sorry, when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, Because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. Then they said to him, We neither receive letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. 
So Paul is here in Rome, and what I love about this text, one of the favorite things that I see that sticks out right away, is that as, he's, as this book of Acts is finishing up, the phrase right here, as Paul arrives there, after three days, it is almost as if Paul never stops going. He never stops doing what God's called him to. It's almost as if just a short time after arrival, Paul is going back to what he's always done, proclaiming the gospel, sharing the gospel with people. In fact, Paul is not looking for a pity party because he's waiting for a trial and that he's just experienced shipwreck. Most of us would wallow in self-pity for a little while, you know, make ourselves feel a little better that we've suffered for the Lord. Paul's not about that. Paul is all about getting back to what God's called him to. He's looking to do what he's always done, and that is being faithful. The business of sharing Christ. I find it absolutely fascinating that even with Christian ministry, we don't have as much zeal to make Christ known as Paul does. Even without the signs and ads that we see posted, Paul outshines us in making Christ known. If Paul had the social media account today, it would be blowing up on everybody's feed. He'd make it a point that people knew where he stood on Jesus. Paul still makes it a priority here to find the Jewish community and have them gather so he can preach the gospel by connecting the Old Testament to Christ. It is though Paul wanted to make it clear to the Jewish leaders in Rome that he had nothing that he wanted to do in belittling his Jewish heritage or his customs, and that his appeal to Caesar was necessary due to the false accusation labeled against him by the Jewish brethren in Jerusalem. In fact, Paul is asking for a chance to share his side of the story when it comes to the Christian faith in comparison to Judaism, which they espouse to. Now what's interesting is they had not really heard a lot about what's going on with the Apostle Paul, but they were willing to hear him concerning this, as they had plenty of negative things that they heard about the way that Paul was a part of, which is a separation or deviation from Judaism, although nothing in particular regarding Paul. Paul cared so much about his Jewish brethren that he even makes this statement, you'll see this right here in the text, that this is for the hope of Israel, I am bound in this chain. I've got something so much better for our people. The hope, the expectation of good. Now this is where, I will say this church, this is where Bible study becomes absolutely incredible. If you take the time and pause and look up even just this phrase right here. This is where Bible study becomes fascinating. And I want to just also encourage you as a pastor, you don't need to be a seminary student to study the Bible. You have so many things at your disposal right now that saints would have wanted. You have this thing called Google that you can still use to look up Strong's Concordance with if you don't have the app if you don't have the actual book at home. And you can look up this phrase, hope of Israel in a concordance. And here are some of the verses which gives us so much more meaning when Paul says this. 
Back in Jeremiah chapter 14, verses 7 through 9, listen to this. O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do it for your name's sake. For our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you. O the hope of Israel, his Savior in time of trouble. Why should you be like a stranger in the land and like a traveler who turns aside to tarry for a night? Why should you be like a man astonished, like a mighty one who cannot save? Yet you, O Lord, are in our midst, and we are called by your name. Do not leave us. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 12 through 14. is what it says. A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. Both of these texts speak to the presence of God among His people. Pointing to something even more incredible. The connection that Paul was to make with them about God being with us. Jesus Christ in the flesh. God in the flesh. The Messiah. Who saves eternally, not just from physical or present judgment on the earth. As the nation of Israel had endured. A connection that Paul can't wait to make for his Jewish brethren. This hope of Israel, these connections that you can see in the Old Testament, they point to Christ. One of the things that really can be easily seen here from a practical sense is the invitation that Paul gives to the leaders of the Jews to gather and hear what he has to say. He makes it a point to invite who he can to hear his testimony, but especially his declaration of Christ. So here's my question to us. What intentions do we have inviting others to hear about Christ? Like, where are our intentions when it comes to that? There isn't just one paradigm to follow. Invite him to church, and that's, that's what God expects. There are many forms that this can take. There's a cup of coffee you can take with a coworker that's going through things. And you'd be surprised by even just a simple prayer that you offer before your meal, the testimony that you have. Church, many times we tend to overcomplicate what it means to minister to others. But just as Jesus invited us, we are to invite others. When Jesus invited his disciples to follow him, he's asking us to do the same thing in the Great Commission. To go to all the nations, make disciples. And unfortunately for many of us, our priorities are out of line. Here's a difficult one that I have to wrestle with as a pastor principal sometimes. Am I more concerned with the final destination, eternity, of all the students and parents that enter the doors of Grace Academy, or am I more concerned with their education experience? 
It isn't that education isn't a high priority, but is it the highest priority for me as a follower of Christ? In order for us to produce solid Christian leaders, they need to know Christ. We can bring people to be good moral stewards in our society, but without Christ, it is still vain. You have many people that, morally speaking, outshine many Christians. Oh, they're more faithful than many Christians are to the things that God's called them to in their careers. They're more faithful than many Christians are to their spouse. They're more faithful to give than many Christians are to give. It should be embarrassing for us, church, that we believe Jesus gave everything for us and we give so little to him. We make him such a small priority in our lives. In order for us to produce solid Christian leaders, they need to know Christ. Church, it ends, it begins and ends with him. The Alpha and the Omega. I'm getting more and more convicted over this as I work through this text and really looking back in the book of Acts. I become more and more convicted that Paul had certain things that he did precise that we kind of almost let happenstance in our Christian walk. He had a game plan. He executed. And when it didn't work, he was patient to see what God would do and still go back to the original game plan, which is make disciples. Proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. It's a struggle for me in the school because I'm a big into stop with the excuses, do it right the first time kind of guy. What if God is wanting me to be firm as a principal or teacher, but also realizing that unless a child's or parents found Christ to be the hope of glory, they're going to be struggling with their identity all along. They will always struggle with their identity based on their own performance. It applies across the board. Paul's saying, look, I've got something to share with you that is beyond anything that you have. That's why I want you to come and see and hear from me. I have the hope of glory, the hope of Israel, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, Paul gets his chance to expound on what he would like to share as they actually want to hear about this sect that Paul is a part of, though their impression is not so good. Number two, the exposition. Verse 23. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. From morning till evening. What we find here is that there is something to following a schedule. Oh, wait a sec, what are you talking about? It says a set appointed day. This is a priority. And because it's a priority, Paul, with these Jewish leaders, they set a certain day. It says, they had appointed him a day. Paul, we're going to come back on this day. 
will that work for you? Let's do this. This is exclusive access to the Apostle Paul in his place of residence. There's lots to really apply in just the short phrase, appointed him a day. You and I need set times for the things that matter most. So many important things disciples of Jesus know they ought to prioritize. They say they can't because they, frankly, don't schedule them. I'll pray sometime this week. I'll read the Bible sometime this week. I'll make it a priority to share the gospel with someone this week. And yet none of those things are ever prioritized to a point of schedule. Something that we can say, this is when I'm going to do this. You know, the unfortunate thing is, some things are just simply not a priority to us. We've mentioned before the routine of Daniel going to God in prayer three times at set times because it was a priority to him. I know I've asked this many times, and I ask myself this many times, what are the things that I prioritize enough to schedule every single day when it comes to my faith? That no matter who is around, that's my priority. No, this is the time I can't do it. I'm sorry. I've got something else going on. We don't need to be Pharisees and tell everybody we're spending three hours with the Lord. That's not what I'm saying. But at the end of it, there are priorities that we should have that parents our children should know of. That those around us know. That no matter what, we might be exhausted today, we're going to read the Word. We might be absolutely wiped, but certain things are going to get done. We're going to pray together as a family. When prayer is not a priority, it won't be a set time in our day. When Scripture is not a priority, it won't be a set time in our day. Now, can we have spontaneous moments of prayer and desire for the Word of God? Of course. But none of that negates the fact that we should make it a priority to schedule and have a set time for those things. As God Himself works at specific times and specific places throughout all of history, Jesus did not come just whenever. He, he came at the appointed time that the Father wanted. Right at the time precisely. And yet so many of us live with no specific direction on what we want to do when it comes to God. One of the ways to make people a priority is to set a specific time to give them our undivided attention. Your loved one that you've wanted to connect with for a long time you need to make a specific time to do so. And don't go when I have time. Set a specific time. One of the greatest regrets that I think I will have in my life, and I say this to my wife all the time, is the things I didn't do, not so much the things that I did. Many of the things that I've done, I have many regrets over, believe me. But the, I should have done this, it's probably going to gnaw at me a lot more when I'm an old man. The discipleship process learned from Christ himself was an intentional process 
it was not mere happenstance. It didn't just kind of work out that way. Jesus was deliberate in what he worked on with his disciples. Which is why if you're trying to produce good disciples of Christ in your home parents, there has to be a deliberate action on your part. Bringing them to church on Sunday doesn't solve that. Sending them to a Christian school doesn't solve that. As great as those things are. By the way, I really had an incredible conversation with my boys just this last week about Abraham and why he was particular in who Isaac married. It's a great point of discussion. Parents, there's just so much there. You wouldn't even consider talking about it with your children until you've read it. What Paul does here is expositionally break it down for them from the law and the prophets. This would be Paul's breakout session, if you will. You'd want to be in on this one with Paul. He's going to explain his beliefs about the Messiah. And he's going to show them from the Old Testament how he connects to all these texts of Scripture. Paul is breaking it down for them when it comes to the kingdom of God and the Messiah, Jesus. He breaks out the plan that God has for Israel and the king of this kingdom who has ransomed and rescued his own. This gospel of the king was taught throughout scripture and is actually mentioned by Jesus himself when he arrives in his earthly ministry. We know that as the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. It is beyond a forgiveness of sins and promise of eternal life. It is a rule and reign of a literal king, King Jesus. So many Christians only get part of the message of the gospel. Yes, Jesus came to rescue you from sin and give you eternal life. But do you realize that is not the end of all of that? There is one day a rule and reign with the Savior himself. A literal kingdom. This kingdom requires commitment, not just lip service. See, Paul understood that. He knows that it goes beyond just me telling people that I believe Jesus is the Messiah. There's a dedication that Paul has, many of us don't. It's lacking in the church today. We're too embarrassed to tell people we're Christians. We're too ashamed of the fact that we don't boldly stand up for certain things. It goes beyond a fire insurance that many Christians try to sell others. Unfortunately, many churches today have this simplistic view that actually misses the point of the gospel. It is a turn or burn type of mentality. And as long as you just tell others that you trusted Jesus, you turned from sin, you're all set. No commitments required. Just pray the prayer, walk the aisle. I see that hand. Repeat this prayer after me. What's offensive about the sinner's prayer is that you wouldn't do that in a counseling session. If a married couple had a problem with one another, imagine a, uh, uh, the counselor telling you to tell your spouse, repeat after me. I so-and-so, I so-and-so. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry that I hurt you this way, that I hurt you this way. 
We wouldn't even do that in that session. And we're talking the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Just repeat after me and mean it. God wants a personal relationship with all of us. Not a corporate one only. Being a member of Sovereign Grace Church doesn't save you. Never has, never will. Being baptized doesn't save you. It is a picture of the cleansing that's already happened. In fact, so many Christians do not understand the priority of the kingdom, so much so that when they quote one of the most famous prayers in all of Scripture, they don't even know what they're praying. When we, pray, when we quote the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to prioritize what you have in heaven, Lord, on this earth, and I want that to be true in my life. What's amazing to me is these phrases that are found throughout Scripture, so many of us just bypass. The book of Matthew, by the way, is filled with these phrases. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom. By the way, it's written by Matthew, who is a Jew, to the Jews, about their Jewish king, Jesus, who they are called to worship. Because he is their reigning king. Paul is breaking this all down to the Jewish leaders who are familiar with the Old Testament. And he's showing them that Jesus is the one who came to fulfill these promises. The authority has been given to him. He is the hope of Israel. Your rejection of him is your rejection of God. Paul took time on this to really expound the Scripture. In fact, he spends the whole day trying to persuade them about Jesus. And it all comes to a close. Number three, the finish, verses 24 through 30. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him preaching the gospel, the kingdom of God, and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Now, as we've discussed previously in Paul's sermon at Mars Hill, or his discourse with 
the Greeks there, that there are normally three responses to the call of the gospel. Those that will believe, those that do not believe, they reject, and those that say, let's talk about this later. I want to hear from you again. Only those that believed and didn't are mentioned here in this text. Which hints that there may be some that come by later, but we don't have that clearly stated here. We don't even know if some of these Jewish leaders would want to come back to talk to Paul. Most of them probably have already made up their minds. What seems to have happened is a split and departure among the leaders regarding what Paul had expounded on, regarding a text found in Isaiah 6. When Isaiah gets a glimpse of the glory of God and realizes his own sinfulness, it simply shows that man, when confronted with their own depravity, refuses to accept the truth. But for the grace of God, there is no hope. The thing that really set the Jewish leaders off is verse 28. Look at what it says. When Paul quotes this, he says, Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. After he's just given them a breakdown of Isaiah. Conclusion, you won't hear the Gentiles will. But I've shared it with you. What Paul is doing is calling his Jewish brethren out and saying, you're not seeing this, but the Gentiles, they will now partake in what was originally given to us. Church, we have to have a heart for the Jewish people to understand what it is that they've rejected. Undeserved grace that's bestowed on us now. We've been given what was given to them. Because they refused to partake, we now get to sit at the table. And we have Jesus as our king. The Jewish king is our king. We were outsiders, strangers that God called near. We weren't worthy. We were not given these promises originally. But due to their rejection, God grafted us in. And we now get to partake. Church, I don't think you understand what that is until you put it in practical terms. What was supposed to be given to somebody else was given to you. an inheritance that was waiting for somebody else, you somehow were able to partake. Now, is that fair? Absolutely not. That's grace. Grace isn't fair. Paul, having presented the gospel to his Jewish brethren and seeing the rejection, stays on mission and continues to share the gospel with Gentiles as well. Paul's not done just because the Jewish leaders didn't want to believe this message. 
Paul keeps going to those that will listen. This is a very similar response that Jesus receives when he calls the Pharisees to repent. And it is enough for them that they were born Jews, completely disregarding the need for the new birth. Although Nicodemus does want to know more about it, and God graciously gives him salvation. These Jewish leaders didn't exactly appreciate being called out by the Apostle Paul. So they leave and continue fighting over what Paul had shared. What's interesting, and I don't know that there is more to this than what's stated here, but when comparing to the Mars Hill situation, in this text you only have two categories. Those that believed and those that did not. You didn't see any mention of somebody saying, Paul, I want to come back and talk to you later. It's implying probably that the Jewish people were harder to reach. They were dogmatic in their doctrine, unlike the more open-minded Greeks. Now, Paul rents for two years, continuing to minister to anyone who would come by and listen. It's his own teaching center, if you will, his own private synagogue. The Romans seem to have had a two-year statute of limitations, almost implying that more than likely Paul was found non-guilty of his conviction and released promptly, and later arrested by Nero and executed in AD 68. So more than likely Paul was released because there was no charges to be filed. And when Nero came to the scene, he knew that he needed to go after the church leaders and who else to go after but the Apostle Paul. God granted Paul a lot more opportunities for ministry than maybe he even assumed. So as we close, I want to ask you this question. I ask myself this question. How will you finish? How will you finish? The question every disciple of Jesus should constantly think of as they go through this journey that we call life. How am I going to finish this race? Now here's what Paul, this same Apostle Paul that we've read about in Acts, Live for and how he finished. These are some verses that he writes in his letters to the church. I want you to hear these. Philippians 1.21 For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul in Galatians 6, verse 14 But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. And Paul, as he's ready to be executed, in writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. 
And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Church, I think we miss many times what it is that God's called us to do. We miss the end goal, if you will. We're so busy trying to get things right in this life that we forget there's an eternity waiting. There's a race we're in. We're getting distracted. We're stumbling. We're falling. We don't get up and keep running. And unfortunately, some of us get disqualified. Church, may this series on the book of Acts be an encouragement to you and me. That through many dangers that Paul faced, and he had a lot more difficult situations to deal with than we do, he remained faithful. And so should you and I. Listen to what Spurgeon says in closing. I know of nothing which I would choose to have as the subject of my ambition for life than to be kept faithful to my God till death.